there's a column for that A1, A2, B5, B6, A, B9. Ooh, ooh, ooh. We know those are cells. Hi, welcome to our ninth episode of There's a Column for That. I'm your host, author, storyteller, and podcaster, Jamie Beth Cullen. Today on the show, I get to talk to Knock Boy. We met in a writing group I run here in Lancaster, PA. I knew her as a comedian when I asked her to be on the show, but spoiler alert, Knock's day job deals with CRMs, so she's a twofer, a comedian who uses spreadsheets to plan and hone her routines, and a CRM expert. Life's little surprises continue to amaze me. I love the way Knock talks about spreadsheets from both an artistic and a sort of science-slash-math place. And she also highlights how lingo and jargon can really confuse things that are otherwise simple. I learned a lot from our conversation, and I hope you will too. As for me, I've had a really weird week with as many highs as there have been lows. I'll say the most enjoyable thing I've done this week is fill in on a panel for stage managers who are exploring other careers during the pandemic. It was a joy to talk writing with people who love spreadsheets as much as I do. One of the other panelists has already agreed to be a guest on a future episode of There's a Column for That, so stay tuned. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at column underscore pod, and please be in touch. My chat with Knock was recorded on September 16th, and we're releasing it on December 10th. Please remember to wear your mask. Black lives still matter. Joe Biden is the president-elect. And remember, spreadsheets save lives. Hi, Knock. Welcome to There's a Column for That. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? where you're from, where you live, how you identify, what line of work you're in, do you have hobbies or passions that take up a lot of your brain space, and you don't have to answer all of those, just anything you want. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Um, My name is Nock. I'm a 26-year-old Vietnamese-American woman living in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I grew up um, first generation, so my parents were immigrants here from Vietnam. And I grew up um, just right outside of Hershey in Hummelstown, PA. Um, went to Penn State and then got my first job here in Lancaster after graduating. So I'm staying, I guess I've always been a little close to home. Um, before the pandemic, I was a budding comedian. So hopefully I get back to that when comedy is fully safe and back at full capacity. Um, outside of doing comedy. Um, I am a writer in my free time. So I'm kind of using this downtime, I guess you could call it all this time inside to kind of get back into that hobby. Um, In my day job, I am a CRM specialist. And yeah, so yeah, this is up my alley in terms of Excel spreadsheets. Um, We have so much to talk about. (laughs) I'm so excited. It'll be fun. Um, I do have quite a bit of Excel experience. So I went to Penn State for chemical engineering. Um, So I was a heavy, heavy Excel user um, and pivoted um, off to my job after school when I decided that perhaps um, engineering was not the route for me. Wow, that is fascinating. Okay, well, tell me then how you interact with spreadsheets in your work and in your life or both or either or anything you want to talk about? Um, So yeah, I 
honestly, I am surprised I don't use Excel sheets more often in my day job. I don't have to make them as much as I used to. Um, I will say that as much as I had a hate love relationship with them in college, um, they like getting kind of the brunt, like the worst of it in school really opened me up to the flexibility and the capabilities of Excel that do make my current role a lot easier in terms of organization and just like even just standardizing processes um, cross-functional cross-functionally between teams. So tell me how a chemical engineer uses spreadsheets because that is not something I have experience with. Okay so chemical engineers I guess um, a lot of people think we do a lot of chemistry just because of name association. So chemical engineers is very closely related. We're kind of more on the manufacturing side of chemicals and products. So I actually refer to it as process or manufacturing engineering just for a little more clarity. Um, so a lot of them are tracking like data. So in terms of like yield results, um, in terms of, you know, what are your inputs? What are your outputs? How much yield am I getting? Um, the time that it takes to produce X, Y, Z results and how you can make that process more efficient. So a lot of macros, um, a lot of lookups and a lot of really complicated formulas. Uh, can you give a 30 second, what is a macro and why you would use a macro? Um, okay, so a macro, I like to think of it kind of as like a coded program within your Excel to kind of take care of a lot of complicated functions. Um, so it's kind of like turning your Excel worksheet into a mini computer or a mini, like a more complicated calculator, I guess, if that makes sense. It That's does. how I think of it. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think macros scare a lot of people yeah. in the same way that pivot tables scare mm -hmm. a lot of people. I thought you were going to do a little pun when you said you pivoted your career. I thought, I you thought were gonna... about it. I was close. I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> There'll be time for that later if you want to. <laughs> um, so yeah, macros are one of those things where people can use spreadsheets for 20 years and never yeah. use a macro and not know what it is or how it works. Yeah. Um, and then there's some people that can't imagine using a spreadsheet without using a macro and same with pivot tables. So yeah, yeah. when you talk about the flexibility, it's really... I mean, it's almost like the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Like what right, exactly. a spreadsheet do is dependent on the person who's using it and what they need it for. I think Excel is intimidating because it's a lot of language that isn't intuitive, even in terms of like, you know what you want to do, but if you don't know the language, it's, it's basically like if you're speaking to someone and you're not bilingual, um, just taking the time to understand the verbiage and the formula is, is hard, especially if you don't have a technical background. Right, right, I agree. So what's your biggest or your favorite problem or project or program that you've tackled with a spreadsheet or some unique way that you knock use it that other people might not? Um, so when I first started comedy, I very much am a person who loves patterns. I don't know if you're a Myers-Briggs. I am obsessed with Myers-Briggs and like disc assessments, like personality assessments. Um, I, am, I am an INFJ, so I love finding patterns. Um, and just like, I am very much so an intuitive person and sometimes data can help me see a picture much faster or to kind of, things will be blurry in my head and just putting 
facts down, helps me draw a pattern or connect the dots. So when I first started comedy, I was, I'm very much so about doing things efficiently. And when you're doing comedy, you only get, if you're lucky, five minutes to practice a joke. And usually that's waiting, especially as an, like a new person in the scene or an amateur, you're usually waiting until the end of the night, unless you find a bucket, which still is less of the draw. So you want to make your three to five minutes count. And out here in Lancaster, I mean, um, I only knew of one mic. So that was five minutes a week to try to nail down as much writing like as you can and then to put together some sort of set that makes sense. Five minutes is a long time to talk if you're not prepared to th for that length and to fill it um, cohesively with content that is engaging can be really difficult. So when I first started, I had probably like three pages of jokes written down that I thought I could get through, found out I could only get through maybe half a page because really like the art of comedy too is just, it's about pausing and tension and just feeling it out, which is very intuitive, but hard when you're a newcomer. But when you want to get through five pages, a lot of that is going to be garbage. So after a few weeks, I was like, there has to be a better way for me to figure out trial and error. So I started documenting down my jokes and putting them into an Excel sheet. And at the beginning, I was writing down like word for word from my recordings, like dictating what I had said and putting down the time and then seeing week to week if I could cut down that time by going back and editing my words and my jokes. Wow. So is that something you came up with on your own? Do you know if other comedians use Excel in this way? Is it common? I don't know if people use Excel, but for me, it was just really helpful to create a system. Um, also, because a lot of my jokes after a while, like, I like knew them. I didn't have to write them out. I knew exactly what I was doing, but I just wanted to track things like time. And it's easier to compare things week to week on an Excel sheet, I think, going, especially if you're creating tables and like actual sheets in your workbook. Um, and you can use tools like Lookup. So if I didn't, like, you know, if I tried a joke from like two or three weeks ago and I couldn't remember exactly what it was, like if it was a new joke, I could look up the cell from a prior week and then just put it in the new sheet. So it was a lot easier than pen and paper, which is what most comics do on the road and is what you should be doing, honestly. I think personally too, just having a notebook to write down ideas as they pop into your head is just a good good thing to do to free up brain space. But yeah, I know a lot of comics, like I think I heard someone say like they still write out all their jokes, especially when they're new. It just really helps your muscle memory. I don't know sure. if anyone uses a, a cell system um, like I do. <laughs> I just happen to be kind of neurotic and obsessed with patterns. Wow. That is, I just, I love all the different things that people use spreadsheets for. It's, you know, yeah. and for you to both have used it for chemical engineering and comedy, I just think that's such an, an interesting dynamic. So I, I'm so glad you came on to talk about it. I'm going to put you on the spot and just say like, who are some of your comedy heroes? Just because yeah. I'm curious. Like the classics, like, I mean, I love George Carlin, but like did not know very many comedians going into like doing comedy I mean you have like the standard like Jerry Seinfeld and you have like Jim Gaffigan and like Ellen Tignataro so I would say like I knew like the very big names and I had a couple I'm very active on the internet so I had a couple up-and-coming comics that I knew of so um, I've certainly grown more like 
supportive of the up and coming just because people are doing comedy in such creative and new ways and like deviating from the old just like traditional stand-up you know five minutes or an hour with a mic people are now do, doing musical comedy so I'd say my favorite comedians honestly are friends that like I support on the internet that I'm seeing experiment and like just going through with it because you're seeing them like grow and learn and I think it's good to you know make people in your life your favorites and your role models. Well, what about the limitations of spreadsheets? Can you think of what kind of problems they can't solve or a time they've let you down? Or I think spreadsheets are a good organizational tool, but as much data as you can aggregate and try to find trends from, they don't show the whole picture. So if you're a very data-heavy person, um, sometimes you just have to, things don't play out on a computer the way they would in real life. You know, no matter how you how great your data is, how, no matter how you try to interpolate or extrapolate, the best thing you can do is practice it outside or off, like off paper um, conceptually. I had a friend who um, he was also an engineer. We were in a club together, and he was like the community social chair of our club. And we tried. We had a very large club, and we were trying to break them down into smaller groups so people could socialize and get to know each other, and it would be less intimidating. And he was trying to make the groups really balanced, so his heart was in the right place. But he accidentally sent us the Excel sheet for people who were going to be in charge of running these social groups with how he split up the groups. So he had ranked us and like made us data points. And I was, and I, I won't say his name. I hope he doesn't listen to this because I still give him grief for it. It was like four or five years ago, but he literally assigned us values. So some of us were gregarious, some of us were moderate, <laughs> and some of us were reserved. <laughs> um, and like people took it pretty harshly and no one was supposed to see it so I understand where he's coming from he was just doing his best um to just make sure he didn't unintentionally make a group like very like full of big personalities and like really shy people but when when he sent out the wrong copy and luckily it was only to like maybe by like I want to say eight to ten of us but we all gave him grief and a few people were upset about their ranking so you can't you can't predict human behavior correctly no um and I will say the group like for the most part worked out the first like pretty well the first two weeks but there were some groups that hit it off like great off the bat um like because we picked up members from other groups that weren't doing well so I mean you can't predict human behavior, I would say, and you can't do that in an Excel sheet, no matter how hard you try. That is amazing. It reminds me of, um, I used to go to these Lancaster Chamber of Commerce. It was like speed dating, but for networking. Mm -hmm. And the idea was there were tables of six or eight people, and then every seven or 10 minutes, you moved around, but the idea was to not get you to overlap, not get you to sit with the same people like more than yeah. twice, which is more complicated than speed dating because a right. typical speed dating thing is you're just, some people are seated and some people mm -hmm. are moving around. Right. And I remember every time we went, they're like, we think we figured out the problem this time. And then we would do the switch and we'd be like, oh, I'm sitting next to you again. So yeah. um, it seems like it should be an easy thing to do. I never really sat down to try to figure out how to 
how to make funny it better. Right. And it's just like some of those things, like there sometimes things are more simple than you think. Like you don't necessarily need an Excel sheet to figure things out, which is something I've learned over the years as well, where I'm just like pen and paper might be the fastest way to do it rather than sitting here trying to figure out a formula. And for things like that, like, you know, drawing webs and like, sometimes you can just like, that could have been easily solved if someone had done like, found like an equation for permutations. Right. Right. And I sort of knew that, but I also was still thinking in a spreadsheet of how do I get that into yeah. a spreadsheet? And yeah. Yeah. And I also remember when I first started using spreadsheets a lot, I would come up with elaborate ways to code things. Yeah. And then I'd come back to the spreadsheet three days later and be like, what does any of this mean? Why mm -hmm. am I doing it this way? And, and sometimes I would say to myself, no, there has to be a reason you were doing it this way. So just try to remember. And yeah. sometimes it's like, oh, well, that was a stupid way to do it. Start over. And so I've gotten a lot better. I use a lot more sheets sort of in a repetitive way where I'm not creating something new every time. Um, yeah. There are many times I would think, oh, if someone else saw the spreadsheet, they would think I was either an idiot or a genius. And I'm, I'm not sure which one. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really hard with Excel just to see your work. And I think like setting up an Excel is the hardest part of an Excel. Yes. Um, because it really depends if you're looking at it or if someone else is looking at it. And yes. like I said, it's another language. It's literally like coding. So. Right. Like right. even things like in code, when we learned coding in school, it was just like, make notes for yourself. Like yes. you, like the human brain has its limits, like don't right. push it. <laughs> like, right. so like even things like just setting up one Excel, like I've gotten in the habit of setting one Excel sheet just to set up like, you know, what I did or like, here's my thought process. Like yeah. things like that will like save you so much time from just backtracking. Right. Right. I use insert comments a lot in Word documents when I'm writing yeah. or drafting a novel or revising. And I, a lot of writers joke about this where it's just an insert comment that says, make this better. And you're mm -hmm. like, thanks. Yeah. That's really helpful, past Jamie, because make this better yeah. doesn't tell me how to make it better. But yes, yeah. Insert comments is helpful for those little like, why did I do this thing? Well, cool. Well, here are a couple rapid fire. Um, we've already talked a little bit about this, but um, Excel, Google Sheets, something else. Are you a Mac, a PC, a tablet, a phone? Sort of what's your tech interface like? In school and in work, I'm a PC person um, just because Mac is not the most intuitive for everyone and also just application wise. And I think like original Excel will always be like the original like the, the best it's one of the most miraculous inventions of modern technology in my opinion um agreed um but in my personal life because i'm now trying to do like more writing i have switched over to mac um but i but i'm not like a heavy like formula excel like technical person anymore so that's kind of the reason why i switched over uh, do you have a favorite command or function for spreadsheets and what program? I do think pivot tables are really helpful. Um, honestly, like I love learning shortcuts. I think that's more than anything, the most useful thing for me, just saving time, not having to move my hand to a mouse, just like learning your alt control key functions. Um, 
and in terms of like just learning them like I can't even tell you the name of the function for some of them like equal sum and like things like that because I'm used to the keyboard commands yeah um, that's awesome so, that is a really good tip how do you feel about color coding cells or typeface or just color in general on spreadsheets I think if you have a lot of things to look at like just just break it up with a little color don't go crazy like just like a standard like pastel blue or pastel like red just so your eyes can like like color direct it's a psychology thing it just helps organize and break up the page so I mean like column headers or table headers like color code um but I hate when people like just go crazy with the colors and the fonts I'm like that's not necessary like you don't need to go that hard um I would say keep it grayscale like if you're gonna, if you're inclined, like your inclination is to go overboard. <laughs> um, what about one thing about spreadsheets that you think other people might not know? I mean, I think this goes back to it. If you're collaborating with other people, like make sure your spreadsheet is easy to understand or to follow. Like, like I like have a second set of eyes look over it. If like someone can follow your thinking don't lock stuff like formulas like unless you're locking them and writing down what the formula is because I've like actually in my day role I do get spreadsheets where I have to translate the spreadsheet into like an application like a, a CPQ system so like things where we have a quoting tool that is done in an Excel but we want it to be to move on to a, like an online interface and sometimes I'm just like spend days chasing down a person to be like what is this formula and like what does it mean like how how do you get this number like is this just a fudge factor like what is it and they'll be like I honestly don't remember why we built it that way and I'm like someone needs to know because <laughs> um, that sounds miserable <laughs> right so and like I mean that's like also just a learning thing I mean finding stuff like that too like sometimes um, just finding something that's not clear, you might find a better ways to improve it because someone is finally taking a look at it or questioning it. Right. Um, so I'd say don't be afraid of Excel, especially if you don't understand something to break it down and like ask yourself, is there a better way I could be doing it? Because oftentimes, you know, we're just doing things to get them done. We can't all be perfectionists. We have to get things moving. Um, but once things are moving, there's no question, like there's no harm in questioning if you can get them to move better. That's great. Pivot tables. So uh, there are definitely people who feel like this separates the real users from the not. So I'm guessing you know how to make a pivot table and why. Do you have yeah. any further thoughts on pivot tables? And um, Pivot tables are intimidating because you have to click multiple buttons to get what you want. It's not, a, it's like, I mean, it's click and drag now with how they've updated Excel. So I think the hardest part of anything is learning it. Um, so, and I think people get like the same thing with like, I mean, I think obviously everyone like has a different mode of learning, but I compare it to like math where I'm like, yeah, calculus would be really hard <laughs> like if you were looking at it. like. Um, but like you, but like with calculus, you have to work your way up, right? So same thing with like Excel and like just learning language. Like if you learn the basics of what a pivot table is, conceptually, it's very simple. You're taking a lot of data and then 
um, trying to aggregate the data into different categories so you can manipulate the categories to find trends or to group your data. Um, so it's very helpful, especially for things like sales. Let's say that you're tracking sales of a product that has different permutations. So you can input things like, you know, the size of the product, the color of the product, and the quantity that was sold and the price that it was sold, um, maybe the date or time it was sold. That's a lot of data points to be looking at. But if you have a pivot table and you want to say, I want to pull um, everything that was ordered this month and I want to see the trend, like was there a certain color or like a certain size that was most popular, you can use a pivot table rather than, you know, looking at an Excel and saying, okay, first sort out this, then sort out this, then sort out that you can just you already have your data separated all you have to do is basically tell your pivot table what you're prioritizing yeah and I, again it's sort of that language thing you were saying like i don't know why it's called a pivot table it doesn't line up with what i think of the word pivot meaning do you know why it's called a pivot table i think it's just saying like you're pivoting like your point of view is how i like to think of it okay. so Okay. If that makes sense. Like if I have like X and Y, yeah. but I also like, okay, this is, if if people don't understand calculus, I'm sorry. I, I'm not like a math guru. I just struggled with it. And now this is the only way I can apply it in my life is by using the terminology to feel like <laughs> my, my student debt is worth it. Um, but in calculus and in life, we have multiple planes, right? Things are not two dimensional. So if you think of data that way, it's not just X and Y, there's usually other factors. Um, so you can say, instead of looking X and Y, I'm gonna pivot to like V and W. Okay. Instead, okay. Because those are here too. Yeah, I'm still trying to work some way in for you to do a pun or a joke about pivoting, <laughs> but yes, that does, that does help. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people I've talked to for the podcast have said, like, I know how to do this thing, but I don't know why, and I don't know why it's called what it's called, and uh, the word concatenate keeps coming up, and I oh, literally... I love concatenate. It's my, <laughs> I should have said that was my favorite. I love concatenate. Like, hey, but here's, this is my yeah. ignorance. Does that word exist outside of Excel? Yeah. Okay. I think so. It means, okay, it basically means to truncate, I think. Well, truncate is the opposite, right? Truncate is like short and concat is to string together. Yeah. <laughs> but like that's one of those words yeah. that I know from Excel have never used in my real life outside of Excel. Uh, yeah. And it does come up a lot on the podcast. So I think that's funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I mean, I don't know the origin of it. Right. It's mm -hmm. just, yeah. But like in Pivot, I mean... There's the whole oh. friends joke around pivot, right? And it's like, well, I know, and certainly right now with COVID, everyone's talking about pivoting careers or pivoting delivery yeah. service or pivoting technology. And it's like, well, and then there's this pivot table. And in my mind, these are two very separate things, but you're right. They probably are related to perspective or point of view. Mm -hmm. I looked up concatenate. And? I love its origin is from the 15th century okay, so pre-excel does mean yeah from katana meaning chain so it's a okay. link together yeah there you go yeah never heard it before started working in excel no me neither no uh, okay and then here's one that's usually a quick and dirty rapid fire question but may not be with you 
do you have feelings about CRMs and spreadsheets? And if so, what are they? Yes, I think if you have a CRM system, you should utilize it because Excel is not user interface friendly. If you're analyzing data, Excel is the way to go. But if you need to organize and track things, like I don't believe Excel is the best application to do that. Like there's a reason CRMs were created and you can, for anyone who isn't technical, it, it provides a better user interface for you to actually collaborate, I think, than you can in an Excel sheet. So I will agree with you on that. I will tell you where I think there's a, there's a, there's room for improvement in my opinion, and that's in the reporting functionality. Of oh the yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so that is where, and again, I come from the nonprofit sector. I come from educational and arts institutions where if we did have a CRM, it was a very inexpensive one comparatively. Mm -hmm. And I didn't trust the reporting functions or yeah. I, I knew Excel better than I knew the CRMs and the reporting. So what I would do is, yes, all the data went into the CRM because whatever department needed it, needed it, and everyone needed to be able to access it. Right. But then I would often do what I called a data dump yeah. of like the whole universe. And then I would delete the columns and delete the rows that I didn't need because yeah. Yeah, I didn't so, trust the reporting. Yeah. So no, I'm on the same page. CRMs, I guess with reporting and CRM systems, the data is only good as the data that people put in it. So, and like the way the CRM is designed for your organization. So if the architecture is really bad, I mean, you're working on really bad foundation and you don't have a consistent way to look at data. Um, so it has to be very standardized um, if people are collaborating. And then, you know, from that data, like, if things are being consistently entered and there's a process that everyone's following, um, I would say that Excel is much better at analyzing the data. So CRMs aren't great for analyzing or manipulating if you need to find stuff, but it is very good for data collection. Yeah. And I mean, I, I worked on a, a CRM that didn't standardize mailing addresses. So oh, you no. could put in AVE, you could put in AVENUE, you could put in AVE period. And then because of that, it wouldn't recognize duplicates. So if yeah. you entered one, right. two, three, you know, Highland Avenue, and then two mm -hmm. days later you entered one, two, three, Highland AVE, it would, it would yeah. create two separate records for that family because mm -hmm. it didn't recognize those as similar. So there, there was a lot of deduping which is another favorite right. i use i de i use the word deduping in my regular life and people are like what are you talking about and i'm like you know when you have a lot of data and you have to take the duplicate <laughs> yeah. out but again i think that's an excel thing so like deduping was a nightmare in our crm because it just didn't oh yeah know. we can't do that yeah. yeah yeah so and i'm still i i think sometimes people are frustrated with me because then the data is not live right so i will dump the data on monday morning i'll do what i need to do with it and if by Wednesday things have changed, I have to redump everything and redo it. And I understand why that is not necessarily the most efficient way to do things, but I think it ultimately ends up being the only accurate way to do things. Right. And I think that's where CRM is kind of modernizing, where you're now getting a lot of integrations that plug into CRM uh, because, I mean, it's kind of like the, like pick, 
the lesser evil, you know, what do you want to focus on? And CRM's not necessarily focused on analyzing data, but rather just tracking data consistently and um, collaboratively. So now people, like Tableau is like a great tool for looking at data and like aggregating data from multiple sources like CRMs and like, like SAP. So it is a lesser evil and it's hard when your introduction to CRM is like very basic. Like they're like, here's this tool, we pay money for it, use it. And you're like, I don't like this tool. Like I have this other tool that I'm much more familiar with and it's much more manageable. Yeah. We had a CRM rep come to one of my offices after I had been working there for years. I think I might've had a new boss and they were upgrading the system. So we actually paid for some training and the woman came, she was lovely. She was an amazing trainer. And I kept raising my hand and being like, but what about this? And she's like, oh, oh, I've never thought about that. And I'm yeah. like, please think about that because I need the CRM to do it. Otherwise, and she's like, well, how do right. you do it now? And I was like, well, I dump into Excel and I do that. And yeah. she was like, oh, oh, that's a lot of work. This should be able to do that. And I was like, I've been saying yeah. this for five years. Like, please right. make it do that. So yeah, I was the person in the training who was making everything slower because I was like, yeah. and what about this? And what about this? And what about this? But it's good to have that person, I think. Um, like for us, we work, I mean, we, so like we use Salesforce at my company. Um, so like I'm on a team that helps manage Salesforce day to day, but we have like within our IT department, we have a specific CRM team that just works on the architecture and like the debugging and like the actual background, like the coding of it to make sure it fits like our sales model and our operations. But like a lot of companies will just go to the actual CRM consultant and work with them. But those people don't understand right. the architecture or the infrastructure of your day-to-day operations. So I think it's important to have a bridge between those. Yeah, maybe there's a new career for me there. Because I will say <laughs> another, at another school where I worked, I happened, I was in the admissions office. So again, lots of data, lots of lots of concatenating first names and last names, mm-hmm. lots of running of reports. And I sat right across the hall from our internal IT department who also had a CRM person, not a whole department, but just a CRM person. And he, I just kept throwing him new problems and he kept coming up with new solutions and it was great. And when I left, I was like, I bet you are so happy to be rid of me. And he was like, no, you were great because you understood the data and how the team was Mm -hmm. using it there's no way I could have programmed anything, but he and I had a really great relationship where he could figure out what I needed by, based on what I was saying, even though I wasn't sure what I needed. Yeah. Right. Like you understood the problem well, and he was able to find the solution. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I did feel like I was bothering him constantly, but he claims that was not the case. So. No, I always think more information is much better. Like especially when you're problem solving, like if you're really stuck, it's most likely just because you haven't, you need a different perspective and having, again, this more data to look at is really helpful. Right. Right. Agreed. All right. Well, now we move on to the other part of the show, which is just some final thoughts. Um, Any media that you're loving right now, anything or anyone you want to shout out, podcasts, books, TVs, movies, comedian um, yourself okay. yourself <laughs> <laughs> yeah I haven't listened to my comedy from the before time so I think I was a big fan of myself before but um so I am very active 
on the internet, which I've significantly cut down since I'm no longer actively doing comedy. Um, I like to say that I, ha I have an obsession with how bad social media makes me feel about myself because it's <laughs> it's so it's so addicting because it's a great like it is a great tool in terms of connecting people and networking I mean like in terms of technology like zoom and like using Facebook like to find like you like this writing group that we met in it was really great um, but then you have the evils of just like social media is designed to be addicting so like as much as I love Twitter and like collect like interacting with people I normally wouldn't like you do get you're not supposed to be exposed to that many people all the time I don't think in people's opinions so I'm trying to limit my social that's media. actually a really interesting way to look at it the idea that like our brains are not designed for that level of connectivity yeah like I think self-awareness is a very like good thing to be cognizant to like make like to have and to be cognizant of like you should like people always say like just do you and I'm like no I do think outside perception is a little like shame is important <laughs> we should feel shame when we're doing things that are bad and like people have made fun of me for not like coming back to comedy and I'm like there's a lot of shit going on in the world that I feel bad about and I feel like I should be like there's nothing wrong in sitting in that and like processing it like I don't need to make light or humor on some of the events right now because they're very heavy things that we should be mindful of. And I think people are so quick to, to want to heal and move on that we're, we're not resolving things. So I think that is like something I try. Social media is a great coping tool, but sometimes I'm like, I don't think I'm really coping. I think I'm just, just like, Doom, the cover. doom scrolling yes oh for sure doom scrolling <laughs> yeah um so yeah my my handle is at knock buoy on twitter and instagram um there are a lot of funny people that are making light of things and i think they're a light at the end of the tunnel and like doing great so um i'm trying to think io edibari is really funny um jabuki is funny they're both um black comedians and extremely extremely intelligent and like dark and sarcastic and cynical um in a way that you know brings light to really serious issues but in a way that isn't so completely depressing <laughs> right right that's super important yeah. yeah i'll get all of those handles from you and we will put yeah. them in the notes for sure yeah. books anything bringing you peace or um, happiness I've been rereading Trick Mirror again just because of social media with Gia, Gia Tolentino. It's honestly my favorite book, I think, that's come out in the past few years. So she's uh, amazing. She was a speaker at a conference I went to, I think, two summers ago. So it was before Trick Mirror came. I think Trick Mirror had been sold, but she, okay. it had not come out yet. And the way she writes is amazing. The way she talks mm -hmm. about writing is amazing. Yeah. And my favorite thing that I learned from her because she has a reputation of writing quickly and without a lot of um, outside input. She doesn't workshop. She doesn't show her stuff to yeah. people until it's ready. And she talked about walking through the world and ideas getting stuck to her like post-it notes. Yeah. And then when something happens, it triggers her. She sits down and she's able to sort of call all of those invisible post-it notes 
Yeah. Uh, and they all sort of fit together. So like she'll see something on the street and she'll, she knows she's having a thought about it, but it's not a really well-formed thought. Right. And then two days later, she'll see something else and she'll be like, oh, that's like that, like that. And these three yeah. things were not essays on their own. They are an essay woven together. And no, I really do love like the direction too that people are taking now. I think for a long time, people were obsessed with this idea of setting a routine and like having to write a certain way and being analytical and like just like very disciplined about it and I love like Gia's philosophy and other people like I follow oh this is a great newsletter for anybody who is a creative um the creative independent so they interview a lot of creatives and it's like a newsletter that just sends these interviews to your email daily and it's most of the time people talking about their process and like their opinions on like routine and things like that so it's very helpful seeing that people you know routine doesn't work for everyone and I think writing is very hard because no one can tell you how you should be writing or how your voice should sound Um, and I think a lot of people like don't see the picture and can't sit and plan like I think who is it some someone said like people are either like architects or gardeners um, where some was that maybe Tolkien where it's just like sometimes you just have to like for me I'm trying to get in the better habit of just writing every day and not having a goal when I'm writing so like very much with like Gia where you like I'm just letting things sit in my head and like kind of just come to fruition or fit together eventually and like trusting that it will happen right um, and not trying to force it together um, but some people write really well when they have a plan and as jealous as I am of them, it's just, I can't force myself to function that way. <laughs> well, and I think there's also, um, and certainly the pandemic has changed lots of people's routines, but I think there's also an element of, of person, I would consider myself one of them, that if I'm told you can only be a writer if you write every day, okay. and I know that I can't write every day, and then I... I, that then becomes the reason I'm not writing at all. Oh, yeah. Whereas if someone says like, hey, you're a mom and you have a full-time job and you're active in the community and so you write when you can write, that's how I write. And so like this past week, I went away for two days and wrote. And I might not write again for another week, but those two days were super important. And if someone is going to say, well, you can only write, you know, the only people who are successful writing are the ones that wake up at 5 a.m. every morning and write for two hours before everyone else is awake. I'm just going to lie there paralyzed thinking, oh, I'm never going to be able to accomplish anything. So I remember that just reminded me, I think Liz Gilbert's book, the magic um, one is that big magic, I think maybe Mm -hmm. where she was just like, I like you have to sit down every day like even if you just like you sit there and you let it show up and I was like I can't I have a full-time job with Gilbert I don't have a writing I don't have a book deal that I can just like malaise around my apartment until I feel inspired and I think the same thing happened to me in comedy where I was feeling very burnt out I had just hit a year in March and I was doing I want to say like four to five shows every month on top of like doing probably like at the minimum like 12 to like 20 hours of comedy like of open mics because I was just preparing for these shows and like getting a lot better like just doing reps and I noticed that I wasn't feeling great about my writing or my material anymore because a I didn't have time to write doing all this stuff but also 
I just didn't have anything to write about because I was just always doing comedy. And right. I think the same thing happens with writing where I'm like, what are people writing about when they sit down and write every day for two to three hours? Yep. What are you pulling from? Yeah. And what, and yeah, go live your life and let those post-it notes hit you. I would say that if it's an amazing idea, it's even if you forget it temporarily, it's going to come back to you. Right. So yeah. like the, the habitual, like I have to write this down. I have to write this down. I have to write this down. Isn't necessarily helping your creativity. If it's an amazing idea, you'll let stew it, on it. Yeah. yeah. Let it sit there and let it bubble. I mean, all those people are like, I have my best ideas in the shower. Don't write them down in the shower. Think them, right. Think mm -hmm. them. And then when you're dried off and you're getting ready for work, if you still remember yeah. it, it was a good idea. And if not, yeah. it wasn't. I will say that writing things down, like I am in agreement that great ideas will come to you. But I will say when I'm stuck, sometimes the ideas I've written down are just a good way to like get past the whole, I'm not writing today. So I'm not a writer. Right. So just having those dumb, like little thoughts where I'm like, I don't think this is a novel idea anymore. I'm like, okay, well maybe I can write something about it just to get like, get something in today or just right and you were talking about the, how writing down jokes because of the muscle memory like the pen and paper so i often mm -hmm. find that writing something down i don't i might not ever go back and look at that page yeah. again but having written it down solidifies it in my brain right. in a way that i'm able to then stew on it more and then when it's time to write it's right there so yeah there's value there all right. Well, this is the last question. It's the one you get to ask me. You can ask me anything you want, uh, spreadsheet related or not. Um, okay. So I'm a leech and I very much enjoy trying to learn from other people who are older and more experienced than me. Um, so I will say if you had an Excel sheet, I'll try to make this thematic. If I had, if you had an Excel sheet of the lessons you, or the things you wish you hadn't known at your age, um, like you're glad you didn't know them at like your age, what would you say, I'm 26, that you are glad you did not know when you were 26? Wow. How do you know I don't have a spreadsheet of that? <laughs> What am I glad I did not know at 26? So I turned 26 three weeks after September 11th, 2001. Wow. I would, I, this is such a cop-out answer, but it is the truth. I'm glad I didn't know anything I already didn't know. Like I really yeah. think the lessons came in the times that they were needed. I certainly didn't know I was gonna end up living in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, at 26, I was living in New York City. I mean, I like, and I was experiencing it and it was amazing. And I think if someone would have told me at 26 that you're going to end up married in the suburbs with two kids in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad I didn't know that <laughs> because I would have been very concerned about how I got from there to here. Yeah. Um, so I am one who I have very few regrets. It's funny that you brought up shame. I, I am not someone who is ruled by shame. Sometimes yeah. I think I'm a sociopath. I mean, my friends say otherwise, so that's awesome. But like shame does not take up a lot of space in my head, nor does regret. And so I would say that all of the lessons came when I needed them. Okay.
So patience. <laughs> because knowing anything, you know, it's the whole butterfly effect. Had I known anything and tried to avoid it, who knows what I would have missed along the way. So I am grateful for the resiliency that I have because it has not been an easy journey from 26 to 45, but I've learned a ton. Does that help at all? Yeah, that's a great answer. I'm okay. very indecisive. So I'm always like, maybe maybe someone will validate. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, the lessons will come when you need them and when you're ready to learn them. Well, thanks so much. This was, I had no idea that you were a CRM specialist when I asked you to be on the show. I was really just intrigued about how you used Excel for comedy. So this was a quite yeah. delightful and surprising conversation <laughs> for me. And I hope you enjoyed it as well. Yeah, no, this was very fun. I'm glad that you invited me to be on your podcast. Thanks so much for listening today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review everywhere you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at column underscore pod. Special thanks to Nora Grace and Josiah for our theme song, Sam Schindler for editing and production, Nick Peterson for additional music, and you for listening. Have a great day.